0: Hello everyone and welcome to episode 10 of season 2 of Ignite the Flame Audio. If you are just joining us, welcome. It's lovely to have you here. I would encourage you to go all the way back to the first episode of season 1, just so the story that's being read to you makes chronological sense. Those of you who are new to season 2, I would encourage you to go back to episode 1 of season 2, just so you can get all caught up. Those of you who have been here the entire time, thank you for sticking with it. By this time you know how an episode is structured We'll read a chapter to you, and then we go and head on into the Origin of Ideas section, followed by the Tips of the Trade section. So without any further stalling, let's go ahead and get straight into it. I'm Wayne Telford, and I'll see you on the other side. Welcome to Ignite the Flame Audio, where our hope is to bring people together one word at a time. Follow me, Wayne Telford, into the depths of your imagination. Scarcrow. Chapter 10, Trail of Blood Dr. Lantern, what a pleasant surprise. How are you? Quite well, thank you. You look well, with your... blonde. She clears her throat abruptly, interrupting my observations in an attempt to hide her true identity. Well, I believe that will be all, Mr. Biggs. If I require anything further from you, I will call upon you at a later time. Yes, of course, Doctor... Oh, and just a piece of advice, from one gentleman to another. You may wish to visit your practitioner soon, and have them conduct an examination, if you catch my drift. I look toward the ground and gesture toward his best interest.
1: Very well, doctor, although I do not see what my health has to do with footwear. Playing the fool, much to
0: Alicia's amazement, well, blindness, may you lay in the bed the way you made it. Good day, sir. As I tipped my hat to his destruction and retreat to the brothel, for a new lead had appeared which caught my attention more so than ever before. Was it a simple case of misidentification, or was Alicia actually Monica Winters? I had yet to find out. Doctor Lantern. Inspector Moore. Are you any closer to solving the case? Already solved, remember? The evidence does not lie. Well, we have evidence to suggest otherwise, Moore. McLean. Sergeant, I did not know you were investigating. No, you didn't. And we have reason to believe that your murderer is being framed. Yet again. Really? Do tell, Sergeant, because the evidence says otherwise. Had the good doctor here confirm it? That was before I knew. Knew what? Knew that something was wrong with the case, lad. Now we have eyewitnesses to say that your accused were not even there on that evening. And who are these witnesses? Might I ask? More shadows of Dr. Lantern's imagination. McLean. I must protest. Nonsense, doctor. I'll put this arrogant little sod in his place. Mr. Biggs, Mrs. Amers, and Mr. Sedgwick. Well, sergeant, you have uncovered something. Apologies for ever doubting you. Well, next time you'll think twice. Won't you, Inspector Moore? Well, gentlemen, good luck with your case. You deserve the glory. Good day. Moore retreats. Head held low in embarrassment like a young child. Disciplined by his father's hand. Sergeant, if you will excuse me, I need to make a telephone call. Of course, whatever for. A A man of science needs to test his hypothesis. What? I'm following a hunch, Sergeant. Right, well, I I knew that. As I lay the foundations for a trap, I was sure to catch this inside agent once and for all. Now, Sergeant, I have an errand to run. Can I trust you enough to return to Scotland Yard? I'm afraid the brothel will have to wait for the time being. Of course. Pasha should come too, Doctor. No, thank you, Sergeant. I must do this alone. Very well. Godspeed, doctor. I assemble the trap, and prepare for the day ahead. An experiment I will gladly enjoy. I know your plan. You wish to silence the Scarecrow. Come to the abandoned house on King Street, and you may just get your chance." Are the words relayed by telephone to Scotland Yard, luring this trickster to my clutches. But to underestimate them could prove fatal. I stand in the top of the house, a derelict building, with little windows or doors perfect for my experiments, phonographs strategically placed at each entry point, and myself in a room filled with scrutiny cameras, capturing the trap frame by frame as my ravens turn the wheels of fate. As I witness only four constables enter, I assume the inside agent is amongst them, disguising himself from our eyes as the first monograph is played. Hello, constable.
1: I have been expecting you. You are now part of an experiment I am sure you will find most useful. In front of you is a door. On the ground is a key, but be careful. This key comes at a price, as it sits within the bear's own jaws. Hope you have a steady hand. See you
0: on the other side. The constable makes for the key, his hand shaking, and all the while the other three search for something to prod at the bear trap. Little did they know. As a constable pushes it with his baton, the bear trap snaps shut, opening the wall, a slight, pulling wire, which fires a sleeping dart into his body. One, two, three of them. As his body falls, the other three pull the key and open the door to open a device which emits a sound, quite deafening, a simple recording of cutlery upon a porcelain plate, courtesy of my ravens, but enough to dull the senses as the second monograph
1: begins. Hello, Constable. I see you've made it this far, but every step comes at a price. What is yours? See you on the
0: other side." As the Constable walks through the room, holding his ears, unaware of the trip wires amidst the piles of coin, he pulls as he aimlessly paces toward the staircase. The wires pull on several glass orbs, dispensing them to the ground below. Filled with chloroform, the air is beyond contaminated, and the sheer amount is enough to render the last two unconscious as they fall to the stairs' base. With the monograph silenced, I lure the final constable in with my own voice, stating, They were not
1: successful test subjects, but you, you show discipline. Just what I would expect from an agent of Bloodsnitch. You wish to silence me,
0: then silence me. As I leave the building and my ravens alike, I discover the film left behind and attempt to return for it. But it is too late as the final tripwire reveals a room of burning magnesium so bright it will blind almost anyone so i await its dulling yet as soon as it clears the constables are looked over and identified as daltz schumann hodgkins and douglas hardly agents of bloodsnitch but it is past time for apologies as the building detonates from its columns and explosives bury us in rubble i barely make it out with the four constables one by one pulled to a safe distance. Realising I'd been played the fool, I attempt to calm my frustration and adorn my alternative attire, clothing myself in the good doctor's wear once more, ensuring to remove all remnants of Scarcrow with it. I proceed down the alleyway towards Scotland Yard, passing Sergeant McLean, along the way. Doctor, we've just received a report from a distressed citizen not moments ago of a collapsed building in King Street. There is no time, Sergeant. There are more pressing matters at hand. Like what? That's... that's it. The agent was not at Scotland Yard when I gave the call. Doctor, what is it? Where are you going? McLean asks, frantically burning as I pass. To solve this case once and for all. Not without me, you're not. Come on, let's go. Where to? London's crying rose brothel. A bit early for those activities, Doctor. Calm yourself, Sergeant. We'll be tearing it apart. Not indulging in its sinister desires, I assure you. Just as well, my wife would kill me should she find out. I will vouch for you, Sergeant. You have my word. Leading him into an alleyway, I prepare him for the revelation, which was to come next. Sergeant, you are the only constable I trust for what you are about to see. I apologize. Why? I place the mask over my head and it tightens. My attire glistening gold and shining black with leather and cotton weaving around me gauntlets appearing on my arms and my voice becoming harsh and broken, my overcoat dangling over my waist with chains and metallic spikes galore, six-inch nails lining between my belt, filled with pumpkins of toxic gases and a revolver now appearing in my interior pocket with an ominous green glow and barrel crafted from the skull of a viper. My goodness, as I'll live and breathe. Well, doctor, that was a fine trick. It appears Sedgwick was right after all. It is a long tale, but at this point in the investigation, I felt it necessary. Of course. Your secret is safe with me, rest assured. But my question to you is, why? Simple. Investigation is not enough when dealing with
1: Bloodsnitch. You know this better than most. Aye, I do. Well then, the art of deception and illusion are powerful allies, which I have employed not only to solve this case, but find this inside agent as well. Any luck so far? He is
0: further ahead than I, I'm afraid. My second syringe is missing, and Shadow is deceased. It appears he is killing your witnesses to silence them. I feared as much, but I cannot gain ground on him alone, which is why I'm asking for your help. I'm on your side, Doctor. Scarcrow.
1: Call me Scarcrow.
0: Very well, Scarcrow. What do you propose we do first? Search the brothel. Distract Alicia whilst I search the upper levels and attempt to find what I believe to be the motive for this all. The blueprints? Precisely. You believe they'll be hidden in the brothel somewhere? But to what end? I intend to find out. Well then, shall we? Indeed. Sergeant McClane lights a cigar, and puffs away, fueling his run like a steam-driven locomotive, and I beside him, intoxicated with my own sense of accomplishment, which lay just around the corner. Through the streets we run, taking shortcuts through terraced housing and fence posts, cornering off gardens and patches of soil left to nature's grip, chimneys leaning overhead, covering us in thick fog as we make our way toward the road, horses and vehicles scattering in a swarm of birds, crossing each other in an organized chaos soon to be ended by our presence as though for a moment everyone had stopped moving, the beat of a wing displayed in a slowed motion before my eyes and droplets of rain begin to fall as my eyesight intensifies through each building, highlighting a single figure. This, however, was not a man, but of animal, and as I pursue the gaseous specter, McCline struggles somewhat to keep up with me, attempting to dodge the oncoming traffic as I pass through. I chase him over stairs and across waste disposal containers in an attempt to catch him, but every time I draw close, he moves further away to evade me. Before following further, I implore McCline to rally the eyewitnesses, and to take them all to my asylum, ensuring their safety and well-being. But little did he know it was for a much darker purpose. I was to bring this case to an end, one way or another. Very well, Scarcrow. I will ascertain them once we have stopped chasing whatever it is you're pursuing after. My apologies. I tend to get carried away. Come on, this way. As it comes back to urge me to follow once more. Soon I come to its end, and it flies over a horse, mistreated and wounded with chain embedded in its neck, and stomping its feet to the ground, superimposing one pain with another. Sores covering its legs and bruises across its face and back. The brothel would have to wait, for justice would need to be exacted here before anything else. The spectre appears at the door, and reveals a pile of discarded bottles of London's finest ale. As I knock on the door, expectant of a drunken gentleman, it opens to reveal a child of no more than ten years of age, with a malnourished body and bandaged arm, a fractured wrist, dare I say. His skin riddled in infection, and the complexion of snow to match. (sighs) Can I help you, sir? He asks.
1: Yes, my young fellow. Who does this horse belong to?
0: Me, sir. I can't afford to take care of him, though. But my father lets me keep him until he's ready for glue manufacturing. It's a process where horses help to make...
1: I am well aware of the process, my dear boy but surely you can see the level of pain he is in. And unlike you,
0: he can't speak to anyone to tell us where it hurts him. I understand, sir, but he's all I have. Apart from my father, and he's just asleep all the time, beating my mother to the point of leaving. And I'll be next, I would imagine. McCline pushes past me and states, Oh, is that right? Well, let's see him try it with me, will he? I do nothing to prevent McLean, longing to see justice prevail over such behaviour. A drunken state of violence appealing to the fools which partake, but blind to the damage it causes around them. A tragedy, I must say. I will make you an offer, young man. I will give you twenty sovereigns for your horse, and fix your wrist properly for you. What do you say? Are you a doctor? Of sorts. Do we have an accord? Yes, doctor. We do. He spits into his hand and I the same, shaking a pact between fellows for the survival of both unfortunate enough to be given this life at the hands of our great and noble empire. The rich gaining more distance from the poor, with every false promise of financial recovery and benefit, just ensuring their chance to be appointed to position in the Houses of Parliament. I untether the horse as it flinches to my touch. I lay my hand upon its face and look directly into his eyes. A dark and strong steed of brown and black, locked in a battle of wills, to which he more than happily surrenders. I reach for my tools, grabbing various syringes and bottles to treat infection and disease. With each insertion, he calls out, and I attempt to comfort him the best I can, treating his external wounds with iodine and asking for cutters to shear his overgrown hooves. Here you are, doctor. He looks better already. Does he have a name? No, sir. Just... Horse, I'm afraid. Well, that won't do... When an animal and man make a bond, it is your right to call his name, just as it is his to call yours. I see, Doctor. How about... Obsidian. What, sir? Obsidian. It is a beautiful mineral from the earth, which is black or very dark green. My favorite of all the crystals I have seen. So clear and strong. Unbreakable to most, but one other, and untamed until carved into its master's shape. Obsidian. I think it positively wonderful, Doctor. Good. But how do you like it? I stare into the horse's eyes and lean my head against his. He nods in acceptance and raises up, acquiring a newly found strength in his recovery. Obsidian it is. Now for you, my dear boy. Ow! Sorry. This fracture is fresh and must be set as soon as possible. Here, hold very still. I treat his arm with fresh linen and a piece of wood. To hold its position, binding it with a mild sedative to dull the pain at the fingertips. Now, try not to move it for at least a few weeks, and if it still shows no sign of improvement, come straight to the Constabulary of Scotland Yard and ask for Dr. Lantern, all right? Yes, Doctor, and thank you. Bye, Obsidian. Take good care of him, sir. I will, young man. I promise. As I lead him out of the alleyway toward the brothel, McLean passes and states, Go on to the brothel, Scarcrow, and I'll meet you there. I have to take care of this one first. He pulls the gentleman's arm into submission and drags him towards Scotland Yard, winking as he passes so as to carry out the dark deed I had tasked him to, much to my satisfaction. Seizing the opportunity, I head back to the asylum with Obsidian's best interest in mind. He needed to rest and recover, which he could barely achieve standing, so I lead him to the side of my home. A stable which had housed many animals in its time, now held shelter for this weakened and defenseless animal. As he kneels and falls to sleep, I close the door after wrapping him in straw and bedding, and wish my ravens to tend to his every whim. Care for him until I return. He's your responsibility. He is beautiful, Doctor. A worthy steed. Indeed he is. Now, make sure he rests, and I'll return shortly. There is still one witness I have yet to question. We've left the remainder of your equipment upstairs, Doctor. Thank you, my ravens. I'm sure they will prove useful where I go now. As I return upstairs to acquire my final weapons, and later stages of my transformation, there lies a revolver with serpentine head lying atop its barrel, mouth wide open and fangs poised, ready to strike, as the bullet hailed as dragon's flame. Several glass orbs, each filled with toxins, but different somehow, glowing green rather than orange this occasion another glove crafted for the deliverance of my brew of fear and psychosis, the needles pronged on the end of a metallic hand which mimicked that internally of mine as if flesh were peeled from the bone, flowing through a tube of Indian rubber to a pressurized container filled with the vile concoction. In addition, several test tubes of vial had also been prepared and laid into a belt across my shoulders, almost as a bandolier resembling a more sinister appearance. My mask unrecognizable, with more tears and increased gap overlain by the stitches, and revealing more of my burnt facial extremities. Witness, Doctor, the tools of our profession, seeking the truth no matter the cost. Then let us not waste any more time, for justice reigns, and we are the bringers of trial. As I repossess the new upgrades crafted by my ravens, I retained the old within a sliding cabinet, hidden in their catacombs for a keepsake, as it were. Fully clothed in war and destruction, I lay bare to the world anew, as its angel of judgment, willing to condemn the one responsible for Angus' murder to hang by the neck until death, but not before exacting a great deal of vengeance first. My raven summoned me down to the catacombs, the walls lit with torchlight and the sound of torture ringing through my ears. McClane stood in awe at the various positions I had placed them. I extinguished the torches near us, allowing me to hide amongst the darkness. McClane, in addition, lest it lose the effect on the mind. Mrs. Amers was sat and bound within a water torture device, her head locked in a barrel with a tube above, filled with water at the release of a wheel. Mr. Sedgwick, having already supplied enough of a confession, is secured with a pair of anguish attached to his face mechanism in his mouth and a gas syringe filled with chlorine present inside the device, primed to release upon the opening of the contraption. The rest of his body lies shackled in an iron maiden, thronged with sharpened spikes longing to drive into his flesh, much like that he experienced before. And finally, Mr. Biggs, chained to a bar of metal by both wrists, his feet encased in devil's slippers, and head reaching almost to a bear trap strategically placed above him. Each of them, excluding Mr. Sedgwick, wore the corset with time as their only savior, as the only assurance to MacLine that I would not slaughter them in front of him. Mrs. Amers is first to awaken, as she moves frantically, attempting to free herself from her chain predicament, as her body had become entangled in metal. Wh- who's there? Agatha. Is-, is that you? Roger, what is this?
1: Oh, shut your mouths, both of you, and get us out of here. Biggs? I might have known you would have something to do with this. Silence, all of you. I am Scarcrow, and you are part of an experiment which you will find most useful. In front of you is a phonograph. You will speak your confession into its interior clearly, as to your involvement with the murder of Angus Hart, elaborating every detail. Then, you will be set free. You have five minutes each to do this, or else the corsets wrapped around you will time out, leaving your cadavers at the mercy of your timed explosives.
0: Oh my god!
1: If you refuse, that is. If you cooperate, you will survive, as Mr. Sedgwick already has. Hence why I wear this contraption instead of a corset? Exactly. The pair of anguish, a myth to most, but not to me. And certainly no longer to you. I push the turning mechanism and release a slight puff of
0: chlorine, causing Sedgwick to cough violently. <coughs> what is that? he struggles to say, as his jaws are forced open somewhat by the
1: pair. Chlorine gas, Mr. Sedgwick. Quite the horrific agent in the wrong hands. What do you want from us, Scarcrow? I'm glad you asked, Mr. Biggs. You are held with a combination one which restricts the level at which you must be kept. You see, if you are too tall, your head will become victim to the bear trap you see above you. Too low. And your heels will become impaled with nails. I hope you can stand on your toes' tips for some length of time. You are deranged, sir. Consider your words marked, Mr. Biggs. Now, for your confession. I've already told you what I know. Where are the others? They are in the room. In fact, they are behind you, both of them. Triangularly placed, so as you can't see or touch during the experiment. But aware, nonetheless. You are a sick man. Not sick, Mr. Sedgwick. Curious.
0: What do you want from us, exactly? A confession? I have already told your Dr. Lantern all I knew regarding Angus' death.
1: You all have five minutes to tell me what your relationship to the deceased was what part you played in the evening, and relationship toward each other. Mr. Sedgwick, you get to choose who goes first. I'm not playing your sick little game, Scarcrow. So be it. Ladies first.
0: All right. I was Angus' partner, that you know. And upon that evening, I played cards with Biggs and Agatha. I won the game, despite Biggs cheating. And then we were forced out by Angus Butler... Then I and Agatha returned to her abode, where we spent the rest of the evening together.
1: Is that true, Biggs? Yes, though I won the game. Sedgwick recalled the victory over a case of what he thought was cheating. And Agatha...
0: Yes, we spent the night together as my husband was away on business. Now, Scarcrow, let me go. I've told you all you need to know, and the jury for that matter.
1: Yes, thank you, Mr. Sedgwick... You have proven most useful, but I'm afraid your time
0: has come. I sedate him, out of the view of the others, and remove him from the contraptions, leaving him to the floor, hidden in the dark. As the others prepare for the worst, I slam the maiden shut and imitate screams, clenching my hand over my mouth so as to install fear into their hearts. Roger! No! Why would you kill him? He gave you what you wanted!
1: (laughs) Mrs. Amos, your time begins now. Go to hell!
0: Have it your way. I release the wheel, and water begins to pour into the barrel, holding her head. All right, all right. I I knew Angus. We were childhood friends. He entrusted me with a copy of his blueprints, and Sedgwick with the other. When combined, they bear the plans for a steam-driven engine which could bring about the turn of the century. He was hoping to sell to the East India Trading Company for a large sum of money, but after the game that night, he changed his mind, ordered us to leave upon his butler's request, leaving him alone with Monica Winters, his wife now divorced, who reverted back to her maiden name of Anne Lee, but later married to become Winters. Do you realise how difficult it is to marry a divorcee, Mrs Amos? Yes, but Monica had all of Angus' money, remember? And there's nothing money can't buy, Scarcrow.
1: Indeed. Monica Winters was blackmailing you, was she not?
0: Yes. How did you...
1: Your servant, girl. A rightful little thing, I must say.
0: If you hurt her... You found her in due haste, Mrs. Amos. Caught in the act, as it were. But you had to keep the truth hidden. And for that, Monica had to be silenced. So, you paid Alicia from the Crying Rose brothel to poison her. Didn't you? She had to be silenced. I couldn't let my husband find out. He would kill us both.
1: Yes, he would. But do not fear.
0: Not yet. How do you mean? Mrs. Amos, your time has come. I sedate her also, and open the barrel, releasing the water across the room, whilst firing my gun to mimic the explosion of the corset, flushing liquid over Mr. Big's face, the water
1: with reddened color so as to appear as blood. Oh my god! You are insane, Scarcrow. Release me, and I can make you a very rich man. Very rich, indeed. If you kill me, the East India Trading Company will not survive. On the contrary, Bloodsnitch will simply replace you. Who? Do not play the fool. You told me of the inside agent, and I found a forged marital certificate between yourself and Monica Winters. Care to explain? All right. I am a member. I had made it. To obtain the wealth in the case of her murder. You knew of it. All three of us did. Why do you think we were at Angus when he kicked us out? You were going to tell him. Goodness, no. Just inform him of an alternative method. Having Lysia pose his moniker so as to play Angus for the fool. With his aging eyes, he would know different. All you had to do was ensure she was kept at a distance. Until the game was forfeit. "'That is. Do you need my confession? Your time began minutes ago, Mr. Biggs.' "'Oh, my
0: God. All right.
1: Ow!'
0: He lowers his heels onto the nails, placed at the back of the slippers. "'You were saying?'
1: "'Alysia posed as Monica, and she killed Angus. And the three of us were outside the room. We left to make it appear as though we'd been kicked out by the butler. Agatha and Roger had already left by the time Angus was killed and I stayed behind.' hoping to seduce Alicia in exchange for the blueprint and Angus Fortune in the name of Monica Winters. But she had other plans. She was speaking to the butler as if she knew him, and he told her everything. What to do, how to make it appear, how to kill him, everything. And you didn't recognize him? No, I've never seen him before in my life. Very well. And Alicia. I had never witnessed such an act of paganism. I feared for my safety, so I left. And after that, I don't know what happened. I swear to you, that is all I know. Very good, Mr. Biggs. The East India Training Company will never be the same without you. Your time has come. I sedate him
0: and loose him from his shackles, slipping off the slippers in the process in intention to preserve all three of them. I turn to witness McCline applauding my efforts and astonished at what I had accomplished, despite my methods. Well done indeed, Scarcrow. Wow. All three confessions of conspiracy, murder and adultery, forging of documents amongst other crimes, all three will surely see the noose, and the jury would otherwise be happy to let them free as witnesses.
1: Could you imagine? Take these, Sergeant. Back to Scotland Yard, and I will have my ravens escort these home to safety. Tell your constable... They are dead,
0: and that should confuse the inside agent not to go searching for them. You have my word as a gentleman, Scarrow. In fact, let me drop them home, and I can deliver the news personally. I could claim to have dropped them at your morgue. Eyewitnesses will see me carrying the bodies in earlier, won't they? A fine idea, Sergeant.
1: Very well, but be cautious.
0: I fear this agent may already know of our intentions. Right you are, Scarcrow. I'll be on my way. McLean leaves with the three in tow. Carrying out his last deed, I asked of him. The day has grown short once more, and dusk draws near. So I take leave of my home and walk toward the brothel, it seems, for one last time. As I knock on the door, Alicia answers only to be starstruck. Realizing her day of reckoning has arrived. What do you want
1: from me? I have come for your confession and the blueprints which once belonged to Angus' Hard. Not here.
0: Come, we will discuss this. Elsewhere. Very well. After you, Monica. Your doctor is well informed, Scarcrow. As am I, Monica. That was a ploy, and hard heart fell for it. I was paid to steal the blueprint and return it.
1: Yes, to Mr. Sedgwick. But you left two fatal errors, one of which was a cigarette end with your colour lip rouge, as identified by Mrs. Miller
0: at Mrs. Sullivan's exotic store on King Street. And the second, a lock of flowing blonde hair, much like that I sampled the last I was at the crime scene. From one of your weeks, in fact. You have not visited? No, but Nightshade gave me reason to. She informed me of certain elements, and ensured this case's solution. Oh, did she now? Indeed. Indeed.
1: You see, Mr. Sedgwick is not interested in this brothel, is he? The reason he is involved is for the fortune given by Mr. Biggs and the East India Trading Company, which you felt you deserved a part of, being Angus Hart's dearly devoted. Well,
0: not sincerely.
1: No, quite right. You encouraged Mrs. Amers to murder her, and assumed her identity to end the blackmail and achieve your own means, namely procuring the other blueprint now in MacLine's possession. As I searched Mrs. Amos' house, I found the blueprint missing, and one of the phantoms leaving the house was that of Angus' deceased wife, clutching her throat. So you
0: figured out she was poisoned. You have no evidence. I never said she was poisoned. I will deny everything. Just vivid visions that could mean anything. Another case, I'm sure. But you also killed Angus hard with staying behind after a letter. From Mr. Biggs, or the East India Trading Company, I would presume. Not in the slightest. Actually, he was the crafter of this whole scheme. I'm just the pawn, and he is the chess master. Interesting you would say that. Because Mr. Biggs then paid you to ascertain the blueprints from Sedgwick and double-cross him, offering you a larger sum of money in return. So clever, aren't you? And when Sedgwick refused you threatened his life and that of Mrs. Amos. You are aware that as her husband was away, Mr. Sedgwick took liberties, shall we say, with Mrs. Amos. I witnessed him leaving her sleeping quarters at 11.30 p.m. the other evening. So it was blackmail, I sought. Indeed. Much like Monica Winters before you in return for the blueprint, you would remain silent about Sedgwick's involvement with Mrs. Amos, in addition to her part in the murder, and both of them would live the remainder of their lives in fear of you and this establishment. Quite elaborate, I'm sure. Do not play
1: the fool. You were going to use the money to control the trade of women, even from countries all across the empire, doubling your prices, even tripling for exotic specimens. Meanwhile, the East India Trading Company would provide the wealth you needed to capture and enslave those poor people, in addition to several brothels across London, I would add.
0: So clever. Always so clever.
1: And you would then kill Mr. Biggs and Sedgwick and Mrs. Amos to eliminate your eyewitnesses to the murder of Angus Hard and relinquish control to the major pawn player in this elaborate scheme, the very man who took my second needle, the man
0: I once looked up to and called friend. So very close, and yet you have no idea who he is, do you? Oh, but I do. The evidence called to me and uttered his name. There was only one who knew that Shadow was the contact who told me of the inside agent. The same one who insisted I start the case alongside him whilst he eliminated my suspects. After I found and McLean revealed them, the one who let those constables take the fall for his blasphemy. Then what are you waiting for? Reveal it. Inspector Moore. Very well done, Scarcrow. you figured it out and with exceptional detail, even down to the last piece of evidence. He had the key from Finch, the receptionist, to enable him to see the manifest. And when he witnessed the purse of lilac and white under the compass, he panicked and exchanged it with the tissue covered in the blood and fingerprints of a detective, Isaac Jackal. You fail to see the grander scheme. You always fail to see the grander scheme. Bladsnidge's scheme of controlling the entire British Empire through the blueprints, through money and power, through influence and through individuals such as yourself. I know of their plans to ensnare the Empire, but men such as me will combat them, not join them. In time, you will see the larger picture. Then explain it if you can clearly see. This scheme came from on high within Bladznitch's elite. The leader from years gone by and only now could it have been put into effect. His name is Walt. A gunshot shatters the silence, leading to the collapse of Monica as her eyes return into her skull and glaze white. Falling backward and out of the door of the rear room she had summoned us to, I turn and witness Inspector Moore stood before me with Nightshade in hand. Well done. Scarcrow was it. Well done. You and Dr. Lantern have been a thorn in my side far too long. Solving this case when I offered your doctor the chance to come alongside me and be blissfully ignorant as the world was led to believe that this was an act committed by their once proud saviour, Detective Isaac jackal Inspector, actually, but yes, I would see his legacy fall and my prophecy from Bloodsnitch would come about, taking my rightful place in the high overseer seat in the East India Trading Company and the death of Lucia. A loose end. Sharing is not on Bloodsnitch, list. And I have no aspirations of spending the reminder of this partnership with a trollop.
1: Why pursue? All you want is me. I'm the only one who can authoritatively condemn you. So take me instead. Let her go. What
0: does she mean to you? After all, I can't let her go. She knows, and has seen too much. And Bloodsnitch told me to eliminate all evidence linking us to this case. That includes informants. I see. Then
1: start with me. Or better yet, tell me, what are you afraid of? Bloodsnitch? Losing all you have fought for. Ending up as Elysia, if you fail. Silence! Yes, that is it, isn't it? You know you don't belong, and you question your brothers. Well, do not worry. It's okay to be afraid. In fact, let me heal you.
0: I launch a cloud of smoke into his eyes, temporarily blinding him, snatched nightshade from his grasp. "'Run, Charlotte. I will follow.' She runs from the room and finds herself pinned against the wall's edge as various agents open fire upon her position, each bullet opening holes in the erotic interior design. As Inspector Moore retreats behind a wall of agents cloaked and masked, I pull my revolver and arm my concoctions prepared to do battle for the balance of those I cared for and my soul were hanging on the outcome. This was a war I was to win.' no matter the cost. And welcome to the Origin of Ideas section of this podcast. Basically, this is the section of the podcast where we go over the chapter that's just been read to you and break down the ideas that brought it about. So getting started off, we notice that the relationship between Dr. Lantern and Sergeant McLean becomes more towards the two of them being comrades, and this just signifies... A similar relationship that we see between Batman and Commissioner Gordon, considering that Dr. Lantern and the persona of Scarecrow are taken from the DC universe mirroring Scarecrow, we thought it good to mirror the relationship between Batman and Commissioner Gordon in the same sense that we have this partnership between an anti-hero or a vigilante and a member of the constabulary. The second point is that we notice the address toward cruelty of animals. Now, of course... Back in Victorian era, there weren't as many laws for the protection of animals and they were treated rather poorly because people could either not afford to take care of them or they were simply classed as beasts of burden. And we see this in the case of the horse that Scarcrow happens upon when he discovers the young man and he even offers to buy the horse off of the young man so that he can take better care of it. And he then goes on to name the horse Obsidian, which is a crystal which is made up from volcanic glass, so it's produced by a volcano. As the lava travels over the rock, it basically heats it to a temperature that it then forms glass, and it can be either a really deep green or black, and it's a really nice crystal. Um, it's one of my favourites. The third point is that we're introduced to various different torture devices, yet again, as in the case of earlier in this story, but these are less known torture devices. So The ones previous, obviously, we heard of the Iron Maiden and water torture devices. But in this section, we hear about such torture devices as devil slippers and the pair of anguish. Now, for those who wish to know more, the devil slippers were basically these metal shoes that would slip on to the feet of the person being tortured and they would have nails where the heel would go. And basically, you would be hung by chains And over time, obviously, you wouldn't be able to stand on your tiptoes. So over time, you would have to succumb and you'd have to then impale yourself on the nails that were driven into your heels. And then we have the pair of anguish, which is a device that was placed inside the mouth. And it's called the pair of anguish because it's shaped like a pair. And it used to go inside the mouth of the person being tortured. And there was a wheel that you used to turn, which opened the device. It was almost, it was like three prongs and each turn of the wheel would open it wider and wider and wider so you would force the jaw of the person being tortured wider and wider to force them into making a confession these are both examples of medieval torture devices and they find themselves in this subsequent chapter because obviously scarcrow uses them to obtain confessions from those he considers guilty the fourth point is that toward the end of the chapter we discover a far more elaborate plot than at first thought the majority of mystery novels We'll have a pretty simplistic plot where you have one murderer and all the other people will be implicated, but there won't be any credibility to their involvement in the murder. But in this case, everyone seems to be implicated in committing some form of crime. So we have Mrs. Amers and Mr. Sedgwick committing the crime of adultery. We have Mr. Biggs committing fraud. And then we have the case of Alicia committing the murder of Angus Hard, and also we then happen upon a plot where Alicia and Mrs. Amers were both responsible for murdering Angus Hard's divorced wife, Monica Winters, as well. So it's a far more elaborate plot than at first alluded to. The final point is the reveal of Inspector Moore as the architect behind all of it. He is the agent of Bloodsnitch that has been planted within the constabulary. And it just helps to reflect this commonly used plot twist in that you introduce the person who you wish to be the main antagonist or the murderer, the person who's responsible for the darker side of the story. You introduce them at an early stage and then you have this transition period where they seem to go off the radar. They they don't appear in the book for quite some time. And then you reintroduce them toward the end. And then the big reveal occurs, because what that allows is the reader to associate with this character, to build their suspicions, and then they're removed while you use that that time where they're no longer present in the book. You use that time to cast their suspicions on other people. By that time, they've already forgotten about the first character, usually. And so when you bring them back and you reveal them to be the murderer, it's more of a shock or it takes people more by surprise because they didn't expect it to be the first person or they didn't expect it to be someone who's been reintroduced to the story. Okay, that about sums it up for this section. Let's go ahead and get into the next one. And welcome to the Tips of the Trade section of this podcast. Basically, this is the point in the podcast where we give tips to those of you who are aspiring to be authors or those of you who are authors already, just hoping for that little bit extra so today we're carrying on in this four-part series of the storytelling process and today we're going to be discussing the introduction to characters, where they fit in the story and how they evolve over the course of the story. So getting started off there's plenty of examples we can use and I think it fitting to use the character from this book because obviously you've come this far with this character so you'll be more familiar with it. We see that Dr. Lantern and Scarcrow as A character they're very distant in the start of the book they they don't trust people they're very paranoid about who they allow in their life and toward the end of the story specifically toward this end of the chapter or this end of the book we see that dr lantern is willing to let his guard down and he's willing to trust the character of McLean, and they start to build more of a solid relationship in the sense that he trusts him enough to reveal his alter ego this shows the evolution of this character, because we we start with a character who's very self-reserved, and then toward the story, they go through some form of transformation. It's the same when you're creating your characters. So if you're writing a character, and you start them off where, again, they're very reserved, or you have a particular character who isn't particularly a well-known character, or if you wish them to become a hero, such as in the case of... Lord of the Rings or The Hobbit, you take this character and you sort of build them up throughout the story. You sort of gain in courage. You know, If you think of a story like How to Train Your Dragon, for example, we take this character of Hiccup in the beginning of the story, the beginning of the films especially. He's sort of this wimpy little kid that no one really takes seriously. He's always clumsy, he's always bumping into things, he's causing accidents, but he still has this natural curiosity. He still has this knack for building things. He's still got that potential. And throughout the story, he then discovers his relationship with Toothless and he becomes the first Viking to ever ride a dragon. So it's that evolution of a character throughout that story that shows a character that didn't particularly have anything going for them now being Number one, or being the most recognized character. It's they go through an evolution stage, but also it's good to consider where your characters fit in the story. So if you're writing a story that has multiple characters, this is the time where you start to think, okay, well where are they going to be introduced? Where do they come into the story? Are they side characters? Are they support characters for our main character? If it's a case like a mystery novel, are these characters the suspects? Are these characters pivotal to the murder investigation are they attending police officers are they crime scene investigators you know what part do they play in the larger scape of the story that you're telling and it just helps to go over the plan that you have with your characters just to assign them where they're going to come into the story and how much of a part they're going to play how pivotal to the storyline are these characters going to play because even in those little sections you can still have a particular character who's head of the crime scene investigation team. You can still have a sergeant within the constabulary. You can have you can have a supporting character which is a lot closer to the main character than the other supporting characters. So these are just ideas to bear in mind as you go through these characters and assign them to where they're going to fit into the story and how pivotal they are toward the story. Okay, that about sums it up for this section. And that about wraps it up for episode 10. Once again, guys, thank you for tuning in. It means a lot that you would take time out of your busy schedules to make us a part of it. It's always a pleasure to provide these episodes for you. Of course, we'll endeavour to include all the links below to any information that's been mentioned in this episode so that you have access to that. Right now, I'm going to take some time just to promote a project that we've been promoting all the way through Season 2, known as Top Dog Studios. It's a project conducted by a personal friend of mine, Callum Young, and it's a painting and mural company that specializes in representing the brands of other companies. So it can be expressed with large-scale paintings, almost like billboards. And Callum's website boasts to paint on any surface. So that could be the outside of a building wall. It could be the side of a van. So the extent at which your brand can be represented is quite extensive. So if you're interested in that, or if that sounds like something that someone you know would be interested in, having their brand represented in such a way, be sure to head on over to top dog studios website that's www.topdogstudios.co.uk be sure to head on there and you'll find sections where you can fill in all your contact details you can tell Callum a little bit about the project in addition to the timescale you want it completed by and the budget that you have available for that project be sure to drop him a line I'm sure Callum would be interested in hearing about your project Okay guys, as always, thank you for tuning in. We're so close to the end now and I hope you've enjoyed it just as much as we've enjoyed bringing these episodes to you. Whatever you're doing today, go out and smash it. As always, we love having you here and we enjoy being part of your day. Have a good one. I'm Wayne Telford and I'll see you next time.